Actually, I had you guys do that activity is because we're going to be talking about family lineage uh, today. We started it off uh, last week. Uh, Royce came in and talked with us through, uh, through uh, the beginning of Matthew 1. And we're going to continue talking about that. Take it from a little bit uh, different, different angle, though. Um, when I started kind of researching, after reading Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, it really made me think a lot about my family past. And to be a, a Duncan. My name is Joshua Duncan, by the way. I should probably introduce myself. Um, I go to church here. I'm not on staff, but... Uh, they let me speak today, so yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, my mom's actually here with us. She's sitting over here by me. It's my wife, Jamie, and, and my mom. My mom came up from Alabama to, uh, to hear me preach today. Not really. She's here for Christmas. Ah. Uh, and so uh, it's just good to have family together. You know, it's good just to hang out during the holidays and, and, and have, have some family that you can have that memory with. So we were real blessed to have her here and, and get to hang out with um, It was real interesting because as I started looking back into my family history, I called up my mom. And I called up uh, my mother-in-law, and, uh, and I said, hey, tell me about our family past. You know, like, just give me a, a brief synopsis, write down on a piece of paper, you know, who begat, who begat, who begat, who. And, like, two weeks later in the mail, it's like, here's our family lineage. And it's not, like, a written-out letter. It's, like, the actual originals of a lot of our family history, like, the original photographs. Like, and a little side note, by the way, we don't have another copy of this. And I was like, I just wanted like the synopsis and you guys just dumped it on me. So now me and Jamie are like the sole proprietors of the family history on both sides. So hopefully the house won't burn down. And uh, we'll continue the legacy. So as I began to, to look into it and uh, into, into research, uh, I found out a lot about myself, which uh, I guess would make sense looking into your family history. Um, I'm a, a Duncan and the, the, the earliest that we can trace back the Duncan family name is actually to the 1600s. Um, I had a, a, a relative named William Duncan uh, who was born in 1630 in Perthshire, uh, Scotland. And that's the first Duncans that, that we know about that we can actually trace our side of the family to or, or pretty closely. Uh, he wound up dying as a martyr uh, to, uh, to some, against some Jacobites. If you know the story of the Jacobites, they were uh, kind of Protestant reformers. And so my uh, grandfather, uh, or great-grandfather, was actually... Uh, in the, uh, the Catholic Church, supporting the monarchy, and, and died uh, in support of that. So his children, he had five children, and so as a result of what was going on, they fled Scotland and went to the United States, as many, uh, many of our relatives probably did, escaping some type of religious persecution or wanting to make a better life for themselves. So it was five children. Uh, the oldest one of those children um, was, um, was actually also named William Duncan, go figure, and uh, they settled in America in 1722 in uh, Culpeper County, Virginia. And uh, William Duncan and his wife had 11 children. So that's right, putting the garments to shame. Um, <laughs> the 11 children's name were uh, John, Riley, Margaret, Heldane, Mittable, I think's the name, Ruth, Elizabeth, Mary Ann, William, Charles, and Townsend. I don't know after you have 10 with the 11th one, just throw out a random Townsend, you know, just name him something. Uh, that was their family. Uh, the oldest son, John, fought in the Revolutionary War. Uh, so we had a William Duncan. He had William Duncan. He had John Duncan. Fought in the Revolutionary War. Uh, his son, William Dan- Duncan, was given some land in Kentucky as a result of his father fighting in the, in the Revolutionary War. And uh, so the family moved from Virginia down to Kentucky, and then his son, Robert Duncan, wound up moving down to Marion County, Alabama in 1832, 
uh, and his son was, uh, was John Duncan, and his son was Luther Noble Duncan. And so that's as, if we could take the Duncans as far back as we know, that's how they actually wound up in Alabama. Well, now on my side of the family, if I trace from me up, the farthest that we can go is actually to a David D. Duncan. Now, David D. Duncan was a steamboat captain on the Mississippi River. Um, he actually lived in Louisiana, but he traveled all up and down uh, the Mississippi River. Uh, his sunken son was uh, William Winford Scott David Duncan, and he also worked on the, on the steamboat industry. Well, as the railroad uh, industry put the steamboats out of business, uh, my family shifted to railroad. Uh, and then we had Reuben David Duncan was a, a railroad mechanic. Uh, his son, Reuben David Duncan Jr., was actually a fireman locomotive. Apparently, locomotives have firemen. Go figure. And uh, his son was uh, Elmo, I'm sorry, um, Scott, it was... Uh, uh, Elmo David Duncan, which is my grandfather. My dad is David Stinson Duncan, and I am Joshua David Duncan. So my family, for over 200 years, has been established in the South. And there has been a David Duncan in the family line since the 1800s. So guess what I did? I had two girls and moved to Portland. <laughs> and I didn't even realize that until I started looking into this. I was like, my family is so established in the south you know like they're they've 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 made their way and after researching this and, and researching my wife has a, has a very similar story of her family coming over uh, a lot of a lot of ministers in my wife's families and and having to to establish uh, a religious nation here in in this country um and having to work a lot of the stories are just about families surviving uh barns burning down and the family not knowing what they're going to do next year and there's a really funny story uh, about my wife's the, the rye family they're um they're uh they were farmers and so they kept planting corn every single year and and uh, the the first year they planted the corn and uh and the crop was just awful and the second year they planted corn it says the crop was awful and so um they they ate bread that year and so the the next year the 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 uh the they planted the crop and it was awful and they ate bread that year and so the next year they planted the crop and it all burned down and, and it says well, and so they just ate bread this year and then the little little title bottom was they were really tired of eating bread after all this, I was like, I bet, I've been doing this for like five years now. But they made it. And a lot of my family was in a certain industry. They were blacksmiths or, or um, and, and they wanted to move out of that because they looked at what their kids were doing. And I'm like, you know, I don't want my kid to have the same life as I have. So I, I'm going to, to, to try to like come up with a whole new trade and learn a whole new trade out, you know, in the middle of nowhere and the family acquiring land and, and all this stuff. So I'll tell you guys that story because... Um, when I got done uh, reading my family's history, I, I felt like I was a part of something, you know? And previously, I really could have cared less about my family. I, you know, it's not that I was trying to be insensitive to my family's past. I just had never stopped to take a minute and really think about what it meant to be a part of, uh, of the Duncan, Duncan family. And so I came out of it with a whole new sense of of purpose and, and ancestry and like they've been fighting and they've been establishing themselves and, and we are a part of this country and who we are. And that gave me an identity as a, as a, as a member of that family. Well, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today in our passage in Matthew uh, 1. If you want to, you're welcome to open your Bibles to Matthew 1. We're actually going to be watching a video that's going to have the scripture read. So you feel free just to watch the video if, if you don't have a, have, have a Bible with you. Um, and then we'll kind of jump into uh, what Matthew was trying to get at in doing uh, a genealogy. Matthew 1, 
Uh, I know it may seem kind of unusual to do a genealogy at Christmas time. Uh, we're used to the, the stories about um, the, uh, the manger or the wise men or the shepherds. Um, well, a couple of months ago, uh, I was presented this opportunity to, to, to speak to you guys. And uh, it was kind of like, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. And, uh, and this year, uh, God had really placed it on my heart uh, to go back and to reread the story uh, of the, the people of Israel and their journey. Uh, through all that God had done. And so uh, the first part of the year, I got to spend reading that and, and studying that story. And then when I came across this passage, as I started reading those names, these stories started popping back into my head. And we may look at that and say, oh, that's, that's just a name. But with every one of those, there's a story of, of something that God was doing there. So I was like, man, it'd be great for at Christmas time for us actually to, to hit on some of those stories. So a few weeks ago, me and Royce were talking about it, and he was like, hey, I'd love to, you know, I've been thinking about preaching through a genealogy also. So last week, Royce kind of kicked us off, and he just took that, the first line of that, of that genealogy about Abraham and David, and he really broke that down for us. Uh, and he talked about the, uh, the covenant that uh, God had made with Abraham. That, uh, that I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people and from you I'm going to bring my Messiah. And uh, I love that visual that Royce gave us last week of, uh, of, the, of the, the, the sacrifice that the kings would do where they would take the animals and they would cut them up and lay them on both sides and then the, the king would walk through the middle of the sacrifice saying to another king, if I don't hold up my end of the deal, you can do this to me. And so Abraham sets this altar up to God. He has all these animals, and Abraham's waiting for God to show up because Abraham wants to parade himself through the center of these animals and say, God, I covenant that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this with you. And what, is, what does God do to Abraham? He, uh, he makes him where he can't move, and God himself comes down, and God walks through the sacrifices. 
And God says, no, Abraham, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to covenant with you that if I don't hold up my end of the deal, then this should happen to me. So that's the way that God comes to us. He's a redeemer that comes down and takes us and our, our, our mess and our filth, and, and he uses us for his glory. And in this line of people, uh, we have a lot of those stories of just, I'd say, really messed up people that God uses. Now, you have to understand Matthew in this genealogy is talking to a very religious group of Jews. And so he's going to tell them about their history, and then he's going to introduce something new to them. So he's kind of building them up to, the, to a, a new idea. And in this genealogy, he picks certain people. And we, we would assume that what we just saw in that video is actually all of the ancestors from David to Joseph. But it's not. There's actually ancestors that are left out of there. And more importantly, there's kind of some... some Something different about this is he throws in the names of women. Now, why, why, would, why would that be significant? Well, if you're doing family lineage, you're doing a family, a family line, why even put in uh, the women's names? And I think it's because Matthew, to his audience that he's talking to or that he's writing to, he wants them to remember these women because there's something very significant about them. Something that happens. And so as he goes through the line, he's reading off these names. And every once in a while, he'll throw in a, he'll throw in a woman. And the idea is for the reader to stop and say, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember when that happened. So what we're going to do today is we're actually going to look at five women. Now four of them are listed in the genealogy. The fifth one is obviously going to be Mary, which is what Matthew is going to be talking about. It's what this whole genealogy is leading up to. So you can follow along in your Bible if you want to. We're just going to be jumping around a lot, so, so feel free that you don't have to go to the Scripture passages. But the first one that we come across is the story of Tamar. And Tamar is in Genesis 38, if you want to read the story. It's a really interesting story, even in its placement, because in Genesis, we have the story of Abraham and his children. Well, um, in this story, uh, Judah, uh, Judah's father is uh, Jacob, and... Um, and as we know, God had made this covenant with Abraham, and so that covenant keeps passing on to his children, generation after generation. So it's passed on to Jacob, and now Jacob is going to be passing it on to his son Judah. And so he goes out, uh, and so Judah is going to be passing it on to his son Ur, I'm sorry. And so Judah goes out, and he needs to find a wife for his, his oldest son, whose name is Ur, in Genesis 38. And... Uh, and uh, it's kind of funny because the placement of the story really doesn't make sense because we're following along with the story of Joseph. You guys know the story of Joseph where his brothers sold him into slavery. And then while he's in, in, uh, in slavery, he winds up going to prison. And then God winds up using him to be a high-ranking official in Pharaoh's, in Pharaoh's court. This is the story that Genesis falls around. Well, all of a sudden, we have this, this little chapter of boom. We have Judah and Ur and Tamar just slammed right here in the middle. And a lot of times, the reason that we do that, if you're reading and in the, in the, the, the thought of the Bible is logically progressing through, and then you kind of have a story that comes out of nowhere that breaks off from traditional where you're going from, a lot of times those are kind of uh, stories that are going to talk about God's character, or they're going to talk about Christ, it's going to be looking forward to the coming of Christ. So this is one of those very specific stories. So in the story, um, Judah wants to find a, a, a wife for his son Ur. Uh, he knows that he is part of this covenant that God has made with him and with Abraham and with his family. So his firstborn son, he needs to get married, he needs to start putting out some babies, we need to keep this thing going. And so he finds a wife uh, for his son. His, her name is Tamar. And, um, and he puts them two together. They get married. Well, uh, God winds up killing Ur because Ur is a very ungodly man. 
uh, in, uh, obviously, if, if God is going to be bringing his Messiah from this family, if they're going to be the ones he's in this covenant relationship with, uh, he's going to ask them to, uh, to follow him. And so Ur is a very ungodly man, and so uh, he decides to, uh, to take her, Ur out of the equation, and now Tamar is left a widow. A widow. Uh, so what does Judah do? Typically, in that, uh, in, the, in, the, in, that, in the setting of the family, he's going to go to the next son. He's going to say, hey, I want you to marry your brother's wife, your widow, and I want you to produce a, a, an heir for his family. But you've got to know what the brothers are just thrilled about. You know, like, yes, I get to go with my brother's wife, and, I, and, the, and the child is actually going to be his. And so the second son obviously isn't too excited about this idea. And so he goes in, and he's with uh, Tamar, and... Um, God actually kills him also. And I'm not going to tell you guys why. You can read, <laughs> the guys in the back, the seminary students think it's funny. Uh, you, can, uh, you can read the story in Genesis 38. There's a very specific reason that God decides to kill the second son. Uh, and we're a family-friendly church, and we're just not going to talk about it. Um, and, uh, and so God decides to take him out of this equation. So once again, um, this is Tamar's second husband that's died. You know, these are, these are the men that, that have brought her into this family from another family. They're the ones that, that, that in, their, in this culture, give her a sense of identity and purpose. And, and that she's going to be a part of this heir and this covenant. And her husbands keep dying. So what does Judah do? He says, okay, this is not working out. I keep giving my sons to this lady, and they keep dying. There's something wrong with Tamar. And so he goes, okay, I've got to come up with a plan. I've got one more son, my last heir. What I'm going to do is, he's too young to marry you right now, but if you'll be patient and wait, when he gets older, I'll give him to you. So he says, you know, Tamar, I kind of want you to go into this extended period of, 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 of widowhood, and eventually I'm going to give my son to you. Well, Judah's lying. He has no intention of doing this. Because he, he keeps saying, well, there's something wrong with this, this, this woman. And in reality, he's not willing to accept the fact that his sons are very sinful and ungodly men. He's not embracing that as their father. He's blaming it on her. So her, his youngest son grows up. Tamar continues to be a widow. And lo and behold, he gets old enough and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't bring, her, bring him, to him to her. And so she's like, you know what, I'm going to go and talk to this guy. Uh, you know, I was betrothed to his son. I was promised his son. And now, I, you know, I'm getting shafted here. And so she goes, I'm going to go and find him. I'm going to go and talk to him. She finds that he's taken his herd and he's gone to another city. And she, so she takes off her widow's garments and she goes to the city to meet him. And she puts on her normal clothes. And where would, you know, she's going to find someone in a large city. She's going to stand at the gate, right, and just wait for people to come in and out of the gate. And so she's standing there in her normal clothes. And uh, at this point, uh, Judah, his wife has also died. Uh, so he is now a widower, which you would assume would make him identify with his, with his daughter-in-law. You know, we're both widowers. We've both lost um, uh, the men that have been promised to us. And, uh, but he doesn't, he doesn't identify with her. He doesn't hold a pencil in the bargain. So he's going to the city, and she's standing there, and he sees her, and he thinks, okay, woman all alone, dressed nicely, she's a prostitute. Score. And so, Abra, um, and so Judah says, you know what, I'm going to go in with her. And so he takes this woman who's his daughter-in-law. Beautiful Christmas story here, guys, I know. He takes this woman, and, uh, and he goes in with her, and she goes, hang on. And so she's just kind of, at this point, she's kind of playing along to see what this guy's going to do. You know, she knows he's pretty scandalous anyway. And so she goes in, and, and uh, he goes, you know, I want to be with you. He says, what are you going to give me? You know, if you think I'm a prostitute. He's like, oh, I'll give you one of the sheep from the herd. That's, you know, that's what I've got. And she, she's like, well, 
not that I don't trust you, which is ironic because, you know, he didn't exactly hold up his end of the bargain to provide his son, not that he would stiff a prostitute. And, uh, and so he said, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. I, you're going to have to give me something to prove that you're actually going to hold up your end of the deal. So he goes, oh, she goes, well, give me your cord, your signet, and your staff. And so this is what he had on him. His signet and his cord would have been his seal of approval, kind of like a king would have had, his royal emblem to show that this was something he was proving. So she hangs on to that stuff. So they, uh, they, uh, they do their thing. Uh, he leaves, and of course, he sends one of his servants back with the sheep because he's going to let his buddy take care of his dirty work. You know, he's not going to bring it back himself. And, uh, and, uh, he go, and so his buddy comes back with the sheep. Well, at this point, she's put her widow's garments back on, and she's gone back to her hometown. And she's not there anywhere. And so they're looking around like, hey, where's the cult prostitute that was standing at the door? And they're like, eh, there's not normally a cult prostitute here. And, uh, and so he's like, okay. So he goes back to Judah and says, sorry, uh, she, she took your staff and cord, dude. You know, you're, uh, you're, you're at a loss. And um, so what happens in the story, obviously, is uh, she becomes pregnant. So uh, a couple of months go by, and she starts showing, and people start realizing, hey, Tamar's pregnant. And uh, so they're like, okay, we got to tell Judah, because his daughter-in-law has been sleeping around. Something going on here. And so they go and say, hey, Judah, your daughter-in-law that's supposed to be a widow after your son, your godly son's going to die. She, she's now pregnant. What should we do with her? He's like, burn her. Now let's, let's go ahead and, and teach her, get what she has. And so they get her, and they bring her before him and before some other people and, and say, uh, we want to know who the man is. You tell us right now who you slept with, because he's going to have to pay just like you are. And so she brings out the cord, the signet, and the staff. She goes, the owner of this is, is, is the father of my baby. And so Judah's standing there, and, and he realizes what he's done this entire time. He realizes how he's how he's used her and, and how he hasn't held up his end of the, of, the, of the covenant that they had. And he says, you know, this woman, she is more righteous and more godly than I. Well, from that union, God actually does give a son who becomes the, uh, the, the covenant bear that continues to carry on in, in this, family, this family line. I remember when I read this story, I was like, really, God? Was there no other way? You know, like, could, you, could it not have been prettier than this? Was, were there not, was there nobody else out there to choose? You know, was there not one person that could have made a smart and that wasn't going to uh, uh, treat somebody else like crap or wasn't going to use them for their own glory? And as I was having that line of thought, I, I started saying, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm like that. You know, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like Judah. You know, I promise and I don't hold up my end of the bar. And I enter into covenants with people. And I, and I use them for all my, my, uh, my glory. And then you look at, at Tamar on the other end, and she's the victim here. You know, she's the woman that was used in this, in this, uh, this whole little scenario here. Ultimately, through all of that, God does redeem her. Through all the things that, although she was used by these men, God took her and he God held her. The process was messy, and a lot of times it is because we are the ones that continue to mess this thing up. We're the ones that continue to take God's beautiful plan that he has, and we, and we throw in all of our own sin, our own choices, and God's constantly taking our mess, and he's redeeming it. That, those are the stories that Matthew is focusing on here. He's like, hey, remember these stories. Remember these people that just messed it up and God redeemed it and God used it over and over again. 
That's what he wants his Jewish um, listeners to remember. So going on to the next story, the next woman that we see in the line is Rahab. Now you guys know the story of Rahab. This is found in Joshua. What was Rahab's job? What was her profession? Eh? Prostitute. Look at there. Another great prostitute that God is using. Man, it gives me hope. Doesn't it give you guys hope? You know? And all of my sin. And so in the story of Rahab, uh, she is a prostitute in, uh, in the town of Jericho. Now the Israelites, all two million of them, have entered into the promised land. And they're taking over this country that God has given them. So the first city they come to is the city of Jericho. And, they're, and you know, remember the story, March Around Jericho, Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. And they march around it seven times and the walls come down. Well, before they did all that, they sent in a couple of spies to check the place out. And these spies needed a place. So while they were there, the, the people of Jericho found out they were there. And they're like, oh, man, we got to hide. Well, this prostitute, Rahab, hides them up on her roof. And so they were like, well, since you hit us and we didn't die, um, we, uh, we're, we're going to save you. So when we come into this city and destroy it, I want you to hang up a, a scarlet, uh, I mean, a, a red, uh, I think, uh, like a ribbon outside your door. And that will tell us that, that this is where you live. So bring all your family in here. So when they come in, they, they completely destroy the city. They take it over, and this family lives. Great story, isn't it? You know, good job, Rahab. Well, what in the world is she doing in Jesus' genealogy? You ever think about that? You're like, how did, hang on. This is a prostitute who's a pagan in a land that God had promised to someone else. You would assume that the Jews was just said, you know, we're not going to kill you, but then you're on your own. You know, like we, we held up our end of the bargain. But if she winds up in Jesus' lineage, that means one in that tribe, the tribe of Judah, took her and actually married her and brought her into the covenant, brought her into the family of God. Once again, that gives me hope, guys, the, the fact that out of all of her, her bad choices and her past, God redeemed her, and God used her, and he brought her into the family. And he not only allowed her to stay alive, but he allowed her to be a part of this covenant that God is going to have with his people, and he used her. And from that union, they, she has a, 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 a son named Boaz. And Boaz we find in the story of Ruth, the story of the kinsman redeemer. And Ruth, by the way, is the next lady that winds up in this, in this little, uh, this little uh, saga that we have going on here in, a, in our genealogy. Um, so in the book of Ruth, Ruth is a widower. Her husband has died. Her mother is a widower. Her husband has died. Her sister, a widower. The, 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 these women are all alone. And so they say, you know what? Uh, we're going to go back to where our family is. And hopefully someone there will, uh, will, will, will bring us into the house. We'll have pity on us. And so remember, they go back to the, to the, to the hometown. And, um, and Ruth uh, is in the field. And she's, she's picking up the grain after the reapers have gone through. And um, uh, Boaz sees her, and Boaz is one of her family members, but he's actually not blind to be able to redeem her. And so he sees her, and, and uh, it's a beautiful love story. And he, he, he actually takes her and, and winds up uh, kind of talking to the next family member uh, and saying, you know what, uh, do, you want, do you want this field that belonged to Naomi? By the way, if you get it, there's a, a woman along with her, her name is Ruth. And the guy's like, no, I don't want that. And so Boaz takes, and he redeems her. Uh, and brings her into uh, back into the family. Uh, well, I want to check something out in the, in the book of Ruth. This is Ruth uh, 4.13. Um, feel free to turn there if you want to. Ruth's kind of hard to find because it's right before 
First uh, and Second Samuel and Kings, and it's like four pages. And so it's just one of these books that's really easy to miss. So in the story of Ruth, in, uh, in Ruth 4.13, Boaz takes Ruth. He redeems her, a woman that was a widow that now has been brought back into the family. And it says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Man, can you imagine that moment for Naomi? The fact that she was, she was desolate, she was alone. She was an older woman that was a widow. Who, who was going to take her in? And so her daughter is, is accepted by Boaz and brought her in. And it says that, that blessed now that you've been brought in by a redeemer. You see another story here? Another story of someone who, who is desolate, someone who is on their own, who by choices that were really outside of themselves is facing the consequences of this, and God comes down and he redeems the family and he brings them in. Well, we know from this relationship, if you keep reading on, it says that your son, I think it's going to be Onan, um, Obed, and from that, Jesse, and from Jesse, the father, David. Now, to the readers, man, that's huge. Like, this, this is where David came from. Look at this story. We have to remember this story of how, of how our king came about. And if you read a little earlier in that in chapter 4, they actually talk about Perez and talk about the line of Judah. So they're constantly looking back on these stories and saying, hey, remember when? Remember when God did this to get us to this point? Well, now in our genealogy, the next woman we come to is the wife of Uriah. Which is funny that he doesn't even mention her name. Her name is Bathsheba. You guys, that story sound familiar also? So our next godly king, our leader, our, our covenant man, carrying on the ancestry. What does he do? He sees Bathsheba on the roof, bathing, and he, and he wants to be with her. He wants her to be his wife, but she's already married. So he's like, okay, I'll be real smooth about this. I'm not going to kill her husband. That would be, be awful. I'm a king. But I'll put him in the front of the army so that when they t- attack next, he'll just be killed. And that, you know, that's all God's will there. Doesn't have anything to do with me. And so that's what he does. And so he takes, uh, he takes Uriah and he puts him in the front of the army and he winds up killing him. Well, of course, then he gets his wife. You know, he's like, you know what, oh, Uriah, I'm going to redeem him and his wife and she will become mine. You know, he's like, tries to act like the good guy here. And so then he brings his wife to the family. Well, they have a baby, and the baby winds up dying. And so once again, you have a woman, in this this case Bathsheba, that a man, David, has taken her. He has killed her husband. Her baby is dying. But what does God do? He redeems her. He gives her another child. He brings her into the family, and he's, he's Solomon. And so we know the story that comes along with that. And so the reason that Matthew is, keeps talking about these women is he wants us to remember these stories. Because what happens after this? There's a woman who's pregnant, but she's not married. And by the way, she's going to have the Messiah. And so you know the, 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 the Jews of the day, when they started hearing about Mary and Joseph, they're like, no way. There's no way that's the way the Messiah is going to come. You know, not from Mary and Joseph, they're from from Nazareth like come on nothing good ever came out of Nazareth and they're not even wealthy they're, they're no they're, they're, there's no way and she's they're not even married 
God would never do that. God would never use her. That's what they're thinking. So Matthew, is he's combating that as he's throwing these names in and saying, hey guys, remember this. Remember how God, how God used these people. And I wonder if, if that gave Mary and Joseph hope, you know? Like I wonder if, as they were sitting there and Mary's pregnant and she's got the Messiah in her stomach, I wonder if she's sitting there and thinking back toward all of these women that God used. You know, you ever think about that? Or she's like, wow, like I remember Perez, I remember Tamar. Remember Bathsheba, thank God, you know, that he used, that he can, if he used them, he's going to use me. My fear is that we're going to go through this holiday season, and we're going to be all about Jesus. We love Eight Pound Jesus and the Golden Fleece with the halo on. You know, like, we love that Jesus, that story, it's a beautiful story. But we're going to forget the story leading up to that. We're going to forget God's redeeming work throughout history to bring us to this point. Because a lot of times, when, when we become Christians, we, we, we accept Christ, you know, we accept the story, we embrace it. But then when we look on our past, we just let it constantly hold us back. And we don't let God redeem our past. And I'll speak specifically to some of the women here. You guys, you ladies have been hurt by men in the past. You've been used for, for their personal edification. I know when you look back on my family history, guys, I've told you the happy parts about my family establishing themselves, about being here in a nation, you know, working hard. There's some ugliness back there. I know in my lifetime, there's some ugliness. And so women, are you, have you allowed God to redeem your past? Have you allowed God to take either the choices that you have made or the, the sins that have been sinned against you and allow God to receive glory through that? And seeing his perfect plan and getting you to this place where you are today. Because you can go through the Christmas season and you can, you know, embrace the story, sing the carols. But if you have not accepted God's redemptive work in your life, you're missing the point of what's going on here. So our worship guys are going to come back up here. We're going to take communion in just a second. And I want to challenge you guys with that, with kind of two ideas. Uh, maybe you're in the room tonight, and you've never heard this story before. You've never heard the fact that, that God takes messed up people, and he redeems them through his son, and through the work he did on the cross, and he uses them for his glory. And you're, that's just a whole new concept to you, and you want to know more about that? I would love to tell you more about that. Our pastor, Sean. We would love to introduce you to the story of who Jesus is and what we truly are celebrating this Christmas year. But maybe you get it, and for the first time, you're ready to say, you know what, I, I want to embrace that. I want to make that um, very obvious in my life. Uh, we're going to take communion here, and what we do when we come to these tables is we take the bread, and we take the juice, and, uh, and we break it. And the bread of, this bread represents Jesus' body that was broken on the cross. This juice represents his blood that was shed. And when you come to this table, you take that bread and you realize holding in your hand that you were separated from God, that you needed to be redeemed. And he came down and he reached out to you, not of your own abilities, not of your own good moral choices, 
or because your family may go to church or because you have generations of pastors in your family. It's because God gave you the free gift of salvation and the work that he did on the cross. And by taking this bread and this blood, you are just realizing that for the first time. And you're saying, God, thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for using me. I, I accept the work that you did on the cross. So that some of us may be in there that kind of fall into that category. And then there may be some of us here that, like I said earlier, we just haven't allowed God to redeem our past. You know, we're still looking back on, on sins that have been committed against us or, or sins that we've committed and saying, you know what, God can't use me. No way. You know, there, I'm just, I, I don't have it all together. You know, my life's falling apart. And you look at these stories, you know, guys, it's, we get hope. We say, man, so glad that, that those people were in there and that, that God used his son for those people. God can use me. So I challenge you, when you come to the table, Take that bread and, and maybe for the first time, feel what that means that God has redeemed you and God has redeemed your, God has redeemed your past. So let's pray together. Father, uh, I first of all just thank you for your word. I thank you that we have these stories that we can look back on and, and we can see this plan that you've had, this plan to redeem mankind and the fact that that you initiated it that you came down you not only came down and and were with the israelites and walked with them and were their god but you came down in in the form of your son jesus christ and you're here with us and we can feel you and you're tangible and father you came in humility lord god you came in a in a manger in a stable to a poor carpenter's family lord god when i see that i identify with that I, i see that that you are reaching out, you are redeeming. And I thank you that, that we have that opportunity to be redeemed today, uh, Father. And so I pray that you, the Holy Spirit would just work in our hearts right now that if we don't know you, Lord God, if, if we haven't heard that story, that we would want to know more about it. We would want to know about, about what you're doing. Father, I pray that you would, uh, we would feel your redemptive work in our lives today. We just thank you for the work that you did in sending your son to this earth. We are truly unworthy of it and so grateful that you allow us to be a part of it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.